0: This week in HPC, Infiniband pulls ahead on top 500,
1: and smart meter supercomputing.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of this week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research. I'm Michael Feldman, and I'm joined this week by Chris Willard, our chief research officer here at Intersect 360. Hey, Hi, Chris. Michael. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Standing in for the vacationing uh, Addison Snell. So happy to have you back on the show and got a couple of interesting stories this week. It's a little bit usually a little bit of a lull after ISC, but uh, we picked up on one. Actually, one is from the show itself that we didn't catch up with. There was so much news um, at the show to cover. This one has to do with... um, the InfiniBand shares on the top 500. You know, we sort of followed the interconnect share on the on the top systems over the years, and they've sort of been hovering around each other when we talk about InfiniBand and Ethernet over the past, let's say, three or four years since 2010. They've they've each had nearly a 50% share, but the last year or so they've diverged, and this time around they've actually diverged quite a bit. Uh, InfiniBand has. Pulled out ahead of Ethernet and now has 257 systems, and Ethernet now has dropped to 147, and that's a that's a pretty big gap.
1: Yep, I would I would say this is another example of the of what we like to call the post beowulf dynamic, where users have have decided that they cannot get greater performance by waiting for. Uh, waiting for faster processors to come along and simply racking and stacking more and more processors or more and more nodes. Uh, And so they're beginning to look at other aspects of computer architecture in order to increase performance. And uh, one of the first places people can look is uh, systems interconnects. And uh, InfiniBand generally has has better performance characteristics than a lot of the Ethernet solutions out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, for a while, the Ethernet uh, proponents have sort of been promising they'd be catching up to InfiniBand, especially in things like latency, but also in bandwidth. I mean, they came out with this the 10 gig a while back, but that, that rolled out very slowly, and the 40 gig was behind it, but it, it sort of got... Push behind where InfiniBand they've been very aggressive about uh, in succeeding generations increasing uh, bandwidth and then to some extent lowering latency. And now the, the the current generation is is fifty six gigabits per second. And there's even they started recently the hundred gigabit per second. There's actually three of those on the top five hundred list. So basically, InfiniBand's a, a generation or two in front, and that's that's basically making the difference. And uh, Ethernet just couldn't. Couldn't keep the pace of of the InfiniBand technology.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think in that light, it, it's important to note that the top five hundred list is a performance list. Right. That in our market research, we we pretty much see the, the market divided between what what we would consider to be a a, a price driven uh, decision and a performance driven decision. And that about 50% of the market has historically been Ethernet and because it it has a lot of price advantages in terms of economy of scale, uh, in terms of installed uh, components over time, in terms of, uh, of, of administrator knowledge and experience and just getting people who understand Ethernet. Uh, and then the other half is the performance-driven technologies, and that tends to see waves of technology moving through it, uh, from uh, proprietary interconnects to some things like the old Miranet technology, uh, and now InfiniBand is is pretty much taken over that high-end part of the market, uh, so that the The market as a whole tends to show more of a 50-50 split between Ethernet and everything else. And the top 500, though, as a performance uh, technology measure, uh, seems to be heading towards the higher performance interconnects over time.
0: Yeah, well, that that makes sense. I mean, it is the top 500 systems, but we always felt like sort of the bottom of that list was sort of the uh, price-sensitive part. But I guess as the list becomes more elite, um, uh, the, you you see sort of the the higher performance components ed- edging up. Uh, so that that makes some sense. I mean, I mean, it's all a little surprising considering. You know, what happened the past year with Band, the that the list itself didn't have much turnover, but the turnover that did happen uh, seemed to have favored the, uh, the more performant componentry here.
1: One, one number that they don't have for the top 500 is the cost of the systems. And I would be interested in seeing that because I suspect that if you look over time, that the cost of getting onto the top 500 list has increased significantly. It doesn't seem like you should be able to increase uh, performance by an order of magnitude every ten years and keep the the base price the same. Uh, Moore's law tended to promise that, but as we move away from the from the cycle time, the frequency uh, time increases at a Moore's law rate, and as those have stabilized, that that I think the price has has to begin to go up as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, the the list is not being driven solely by Moore's law. We know, we've known that for a while. There's 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 other components. I mean, there's just additional nodes that have been added. People adding more processors, and and more uh, higher performance uh, components to the system. So it it you know your theory of, of becoming a more elite list just because it's cost more. I think is is, uh, is accurate. I think it probably the cost of these systems is going up. So, the other article this week that is sort of at the other end of the scale, uh, so to speak, um, is is one of these topics about distributed computing that we haven't talked about in a while. This is a story about we saw in Forbes magazine. A small startup company called Hive, Hive Computing had the idea to connect smart meters uh, that your utility company puts, puts to, onto your house, and using the spare capacity there... To do, essentially, supercomputing-type workloads, now using it like, uh, basically, a, a donated folding-at-home type of application, where you have a very loosely coupled uh, application that, that doesn't need, each of the components don't need to talk to each other very much, they can just do individual... Uh, computation and then come back to some central facility to combine them all together. And even in this case where the utility meters are distributed widely, they don't talk to each other ever. Um, uh, you build a little infrastructure on top of this, use those as sort of your computational uh, base. Uh, they This company, Hive Computing, thinks a lot of computation can be done because of the, the ubiquity of these smart meters. I mean, they were talking about, uh, you know, with 10,000 of these meters, which is just a you know, a large neighborhood or a large city can get you to a teraflop, which isn't that much nowadays, but a million meters gets you to two petaflops. And now we're starting to talk. And the, I think they said in the U.S. at least, the capacity is like 500 million meters spread across the country. And that would equal about 100 petaflops of capacity. So, it it opens up some interesting possibilities if you can, put, if you can wrap this up into the right infrastructure and actually start dispensing some of these embarrassingly parallel Applications there.
1: Uh, yeah, this brings a, a whole new meaning to the term utility computing. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Uh,
1: I think that uh, you know one of the one of the things that first struck me is that uh, back in the 1990s, when when parallelism was uh, was moving into the into the cluster realm, uh, somebody joked that what we really need to do is wire together all the spare processors and the cars in the parking lot. To make our next supercomputer, uh, and this comes pretty close to that model. I have to say that say that this brings out the doctor doom in me uh, The uh, the, this this model has been tried in various forms over the years. Uh, People tried to commercialize the SETI at home model and and did not succeed. That uh, that companies have tried to uh, to to sell supercomputing cycles on on their inventory of PCs. And and that has not succeeded. Uh, And I think there are, are a couple of fundamental problems. One is, is that when you look at the. The technology that's actually being provided, and try to uh, map that onto application sets that, that you 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 end up with a vanishingly small set of applications that can be effectively run on it. Uh, I will say that uh, this is one of those cases where it only takes one really good application to make it make it a going proposition. Uh, but it's awfully hard to think of what that application might be, given the uh, bandwidth, the available memory that I suspect is not high on meters, uh, and the the computational power of the actual processors on the systems. Uh, you really have to have an embarrassingly parallel program here.
0: Uh, right. And. They talked about the, the processors on these meters are basically like a single-core cell phone, so not much power there, and, and like you said, probably not, not a whole lot of memory.
1: I think the second issue is, is really business model, and, and that essentially you are, you're starting out with what looks like a free resource, and therefore you should be able to sell that resource for next to nothing. Uh, but as soon as you actually start moving uh, moving dollars around, that people who own the resource uh, begin to begin to think they that they deserve a share of that money. Uh, in addition, when you take a an idle computer which essentially costs you nothing if it's just sitting there, and beginning to run a fairly intensive HPC application on it, uh, that begins to cost you something in terms of power and possibly in terms of system system lifetime or reliability, uh, so that, that balancing out what you can charge someone for, for what looks like a re-resource and what you have to pay for that resource uh, and what you actually need to administer that resource uh, can become a, a major business model headache.
0: Right. I think they haven't. Decide what sort of business model they could use, and you know, to be to be fair to these guys, they're not promising it to be free. They're just saying uh, you've avoided basically all of the capex cost up front because you don't need a data center, you don't need to build the supercomputer. It's sort of in place, so you can sort of leverage that savings and and compute at a at a at a much better cost. And obviously, the utilities would want a, a piece of that, but you know, over distributed over all these uh, these processors um it, it's interesting i mean i i know what you're saying about you know this thing has sort of been tried before i think um this is a little different in that it it sort of folds into this internet of things a trend that we're seeing where uh, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and the capacity is going to be installed in place and and the the processing power is just going to keep rising it's not going to be donated um uh, Computation, like some of these other projects, distributed computing projects we've seen, it's a little different than that. And uh, I mean, it is it is an unknown, but I think there's a little more potential here, and that there's going to be a lot more infrastructure available, and uh, sort of a lot more to play with. But like you said, it's only going to be a certain subset of of what we would consider HPC applications, and it, they'd have to be sort of carefully crafted. To, to, do, to be useful for, for this sort of infrastructure?
1: Well, people keep on trying this model, and there, there's nothing to say that it can't be made to work someday. Yeah. Uh, it is easy to see all, what, all the reasons why it can't work, uh, but, uh, but that doesn't exclude the possibility that it will. So, I just, all I can say is let's watch it carefully and, uh, and see what they come up with.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to put...
1: And, and hopefully, hopefully they'll surprise me, and I'll be back here eating crow in a year or two.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't think they, we have to worry they're going to put any of the supercomputing companies out of business, but yeah, it is interesting, and, and we'll definitely keep an eye on it. Uh, interesting story, certainly. It piques the imagination. So, I think that'll wrap it up for this week. Two kind of interesting stories in the uh, the midst of summer. We're happy to get them, and Chris, happy to have you on the show again.
1: It was a pleasure, as always.
0: And we'll be back next week with uh, This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC.